0: Hello and welcome, UVA Speaks is a podcast of Lifetime Learning, a division of the Office of Engagement at the University of Virginia. Lifetime Learning brings the knowledge and expertise of UVA's faculty to the university's alumni, friends and families. My name is Susan Lynch and I am the Associate Director of Lifetime Learning at the University of Virginia's Office of Engagement. This podcast features Megan Matos, an Assistant Professor of Nursing in the School of Nursing at the University of Virginia. Her research focuses on the prevention of dementia and dementia in older adults with mild cognitive impairment, sleep in older adults at risk for dementia, and the use of technology in preventative health. Matos practiced clinically in acute and critical care settings before pursuing her PhD, where she developed her research interests in gerontology, cognitive health, and health equity. Her continued commitment to providing care to underserved and aging communities drives her research, clinical, and teaching interests. In this podcast, Professor Montes will talk with us about her research on sleep in older adults that are at risk for dementia. So thank you, Professor, for speaking with me today. Thank
1: you. I appreciate you having me here.
0: Thank you. So first, can you explain some age-related sleep changes and what are some of the consequences of poor sleep?
1: So we know that we feel better after a good night's rest and that getting enough sleep really helps you to stay healthy and alert. Um, But many older adults may not feel as though they're sleeping well or as well as they did when they were younger. And so when you're waking up every day feeling tired, that's a sign that you're likely not getting enough sleep. So in general, you want to have between seven and nine hours of sleep. But as you age, older adults will share that they tend to go to sleep earlier get up earlier than they did when they were younger. And there's a few reasons why sleep does look different as we age. So some of these patterns change. One of them is that we're having potentially a harder time falling asleep, that we're waking up more often during the night or potentially earlier in the morning. And we're taking naps during the day that we may or may not have taken when we were younger. Interestingly, our total sleep time is around the same time as it was before. So as I said, around seven to nine hours is, is ideal, although older adults report uh, less, somewhere around five to seven hours per night. Because it's harder to fall asleep, you may feel as though you're spending more time in bed than you did also when you think of it yourself as a younger adult. And the transition between sleep and waking is often abrupt, so you feel as though you're potentially sleeping even lighter. Finally, there's concerns about less time being spent in deep or dreamless sleep, the time in which you're having um, your memories are are really consolidating and sticking in your brain. And that's when you're going to be dreaming most. Um, And this is shorter as we age. And it's something to be aware of when we consider these shorter periods of time and some of the consequences. And so if you're Getting up more often, this could be due to the same reasons that you had when you were younger, except now we're maybe dealing with things like needing to urinate or use the bathroom at night. Maybe anxiety that hasn't really stilled during the daytime. And discomfort or pain from long-term or chronic illnesses is really common in older adults. And so some of these consequences to all of these potential sleep-related changes are that you may be feeling irritable, you may be, may be feeling more depressed, you may be forgetting things more often or things feel harder to do. Some of the things that I'm really concerned about are having more falls or accidents. And most important to my research is really having concerns with memory and forgetting important things in the way in which you go about your day-to-day activities.
0: Great. Thank you for that context. Uh, Can you describe some common sleep disorders you see in older adults?
1: Absolutely. So my research focuses on uh, older adults with insomnia, and this is considered to be the most common sleep problem in adults age 60 years and older. And so this means that you may have a long time trying to fall asleep. You may be waking up many times at night. You may be unable to get back to sleep. When you wake up. And then you're also feeling tired, feeling sleepy during the day. And this could be impacting whether it's your work, whether it's your social connections, or some other aspect of your life. This can last anywhere from a couple of months. We usually would like to see these symptoms, some of these concerns over a period of at least three months with three or more days a week. But most people that I've worked with and that participate in my studies will report many years of, of poor sleep. And so that's where my research is really focused. There are some additional uh, sleep concerns or disorders to to consider. One of those is sleep apnea. And this is when you have short breaks in your breathing when you're asleep. And this can happen many times at night or a few times at night for varying amounts of time. And if it's not treated, this is a problem because it puts you at higher risk for things like high blood pressure, stroke, and also memory loss. And so if you are noticing this in a partner or if you're seeing changes in your sleep, then it's really important to see a sleep medicine specialist. And, you know, you can reach out to your primary care provider or um, go directly to the specialist depending on what your insurance covers. But many times people will use something called a CPAP machine, which covers your face and helps with breathing. So fortunately, this is something that can be treated. And then other things in terms of movement disorders, things like restless leg syndrome, you're feeling a little jittery, you have trouble going to sleep, and this happens over a long period of time, periodic limb movement, and others related to the stages of sleep.
0: So I've read that there's a relationship between sleep and dementia. Can you please explain that relationship?
1: Much of my research focuses on older adults in early stages of memory loss or concerns about their brain health. And so there's something called mild cognitive impairment, and this is sometimes considered a precursor to dementias such as Alzheimer's disease. We have about 14 million adults over 65 years of age or older that um, have concerns of MCI and they're still able to do their activities of daily living, but they maybe have having more trouble uh, with their brain health than they did compared to when they were younger or their age-matched counterparts. It's an interesting group to study changes in sleep because they're at greatest risk, a greater risk, excuse me, of developing Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, with up to 15% of these individuals progressing to dementias each year. And although there have been lots of, phar- or a couple pharmacologic interventions that have come out to help reduce dementia or Alzheimer's risk, there's not as many successful behavioral interventions. And so when it comes to sleep, being able to really target sleep using behavior change instead of adding additional medications for sleep and memory and the high blood pressure and the high cholesterol is really the focus of my work and trying to use changes in behavior to improve sleep, hopefully and thereby making long-term changes in brain health that benefit the older adult over time.
0: So some of your research focuses on sleep in older adults at risk for dementia. Could you explain your current research?
1: Yes, so at present, we're looking at the effect of an internet-based intervention to improve symptoms of insomnia in older adults that are living with cognitive or memory concerns. We hope that this intervention, which is delivered over a few months, will improve sleep as well as daytime functioning in older adults living with some of these cognitive concerns and insomnia over a short period of time and then over a period of two years. The other thing that we're examining is not only if it improves sleep, but if this improved sleep also has an effect on their cognition and memory over this long period of time. And so, although the intervention study is a few months, the intervention period, excuse me, is only a few months, we're following people in six month intervals to just check in, see how they're doing, and see the impact of this positive sleep over time with hopes that we're able to maintain cognition, maintain memory um, in those that are at greatest risk of developing dementia such as Alzheimer's
0: disease. Okay, great. And finally, can you give us some tips to help us all get a good night's sleep?
1: Absolutely. Uh, So, there are for everyone a couple of things that are really important to consider. If you're saying, I'm having a hard time getting good rest, I'm not sleeping enough, what can I do without medication? So, my research is really focused on behavior change and trying to not use medications, particularly in older adults who are already taking quite a few, many times. So, how do you get a good night's sleep? Try and follow a regular sleep schedule. So, go to sleep as close to possible at the same time every single night. Try avoid napping in the late afternoon or evening. So it's okay to take a nap, a 20 minute nap earlier in the day, but try and make that before 1pm. Try and develop a bedtime routine. So what does it look like before you go to bed? Do you sit in bed and read? When do you turn off the light? When do you plug in your phone? When do you put on the alarm in your house? All of these little things that become a routine are sending messages to your brain. Oh, this is, this is time to sleep. This is exactly what I need to be doing. And so you're preparing your brain and your body to get into a restful period. Try not to watch TV, use your computer, cell phones or tablets in your bedroom. And I know this has been most recently with uh, my work, one of the most difficult things to, to do to put aside. And so what I would say is try the best that you can. And if you can't get it out of the room, try and at least put it aside for that hour before you fall asleep. You also want to be in an environment that's comfortable. So make sure that the temperature in the room is comfortable, or if you're cold, have some blankets on, dress appropriately. Use lower lightings as you start preparing yourself with that routine. Some other things you may want to consider are exercising at regular times during the day. So when when you exercise, usually you feel a little invigorated, and so you don't want to be doing that at 9 p.m. at night. You want to maybe be doing that earlier and telling your body, OK, when I exercise, I'll likely fall asleep in X number of hours. Try not eating large meals close to bedtime, staying away from caffeine, particularly late in the day. We all have different sensitivities to the caffeine, but everyone could benefit from less caffeine intake as we get closer to bedtime. And remember that alcohol, unfortunately, will not help you get good sleep. Although I know many people like to have a nightcap and that's not uncommon. But if you're using that to, to fall asleep and you're having trouble sleeping, it may be good to consider having that earlier in the day, um, you know, right after dinner or at an uh, afternoon snack time period.
0: Okay, thank you. I, I also wonder, um, I use Fitbit and uh, <laughs> I have noticed that um, I am able to see my sleep and the schedule of my sleep and, and the when i'm in a deep sleep and when i'm in a rem sleep and i've found that to be an interesting thing to view because i always felt like i wasn't getting a lot of sleep i think i'm getting more than i think i am <laughs> according to my <laughs> fitbit i wonder um if that's a you know a good tool for folks
1: so there are lots of different types of technology that can capture sleep uh, and i think that it's- extremely helpful to be able to use different types of technology, especially those that are passively collecting that information. In other words, it's it's not tapped into you. You're not sitting in a room at the hospital. To get this data, but unfortunately, they're not 100% accurate, mm-hmm. um, particularly as you look at the different stages of sleep. So when you look at things like light sleep and deep sleep, and so technology continues to get better and more accurate. But that being said, the gold standard continues to be uh, something called polysomnography, which is done in uh, in a controlled hospital-like setting in order to really get an idea of what's happening with your sleep. I think that it's extremely helpful to use technology to get an idea of what's kind of happening for you. Mm -hmm. What does your night look like? If you feel rested and your Fitbit says it's six hours of sleep, take that you feel rested. Mm -hmm. If it says you slept 12 hours, think about why did it say 12 hours and I don't feel well rested? Mm -hmm. What was it about yesterday? And so I think of it as a way to reflect upon when did I feel good? When did I not feel good? Was I awoken many times during the night? Um, did I have nice chunks of what I call consolidated sleep? And that's why I felt better with my six hours compared to my 12 hours. And using that as a tool, but not as a diet diagnosis or telling you how you feel in terms of uh, good sleep or poor sleep, or feeling good in terms of uh, work, social situations, or other things that impact your daily activities.
0: Great. Thank you. Thank you. I I appreciate that. So thank you so much, uh, Professor Matos, for sharing this information about your work and your research. You know, so many of us have older members, family members, and this is very helpful information. Um, Also, as each of us gets older, um, we can give this can give us many things to think about. So thank you for sharing your knowledge and expertise with UVA's alumni, friends and families.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you having me here.
0: And thank you for listening for upcoming podcasts and other Lifetime Learning programming, recordings, and blogs. Please visit our website at engagement.virginia.edu forward slash learn. You can also find our podcasts on Virginia Audio Collective, which is a network of UVA podcasts hosted by WTJU Radio and can be found at virginiaaudio.org. So thank you again, and we look forward to you taking part in future Lifetime Learning programs.